What's up, ladies and gentlemen? This is your conductor speaking. The hype train has refueled, and we are about to leave the station. Yes, that's right. The hype train has refueled, and we are barreling ahead to Nationals. And we have information about new starter decks. Not abstract new starter decks, but actual new starter decks that are in a form that is being playtested right now. Are you kidding me? This is fantastic news that came out of nowhere yesterday on Valentine's Day. And I sat down with Chris and Gabe to discuss that and talk about that. And there's a huge announcement about that somewhere in this podcast. I'm not going to give you the timestamp. You're going to have to listen for it yourself. But man, is it huge. So here we go. All right, thank you guys so much for joining for another episode of The Threshing Floor. As always, I'm John Hendricks, and I'm joined by both Gabe Isbell and Chris Fashman. How are you guys doing? Hey, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me again. Yeah, I'm excited to be on again. Yeah, and you're on with some very exciting news. You guys kind of uh, came out of nowhere with some some big news today. So Yeah, yeah. it probably feels like out of nowhere. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what you're talking about. We, there's nothing going on. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure it's not out of nowhere for you guys, but on this end of it. Um, so before we get into that and uh, talk about that, I would like to say that I looked on my um, podcast dashboard, and without counting YouTube views, the podcast has had over 1,000 downloads or streams from the podcast libraries. So that's only from Apple Music, Spotify, Google Podcasts, those type of things. Definitely want to thank you guys for listening and helping make the um, early part of the podcast a success. Yeah, woohoo! That's awesome, dude. Right. Um, and also, I would just like to go ahead and make sure that we mention it again. The Lackey Grand Prix installment number two is happening Signups are going to run through this weekend. I believe Saturday is the last day to sign up, and then round one for the second run of the Lackey Grand Prix will begin on Sunday. So make sure you guys sign up. This is a, a really good time, especially considering that GOC Phase 1 cards are going to be playable within this because it's not an official tournament. So even if you're not playing to be competitive, you can be playing to test out GOC cards and things of that nature in actual game simulations. So... Definitely should take advantage of that, even if it's just for the the ability to test those cards. Um, and then, if you haven't seen the big news that we we mentioned, Rob M Studios had a video for a package that Chris sent him without any heads up. It wasn't no heads up. I I messaged him and said, "By the way, you've got something coming. Let me know when you get it." So he had a little bit of a heads up. Yeah, and it's like. Let's, let's shoot a live video when you uh, or, or record a video when you open it. Um, yep. And that turned out to be test images for playtesting new starter decks, K and L. And so that video is there. You can actually go and look and get um, a glance at some of the cards in their test, um, I guess, stage. Those cards are all subject to change. So if you read some ability, you zoom in on them. Just go ahead and throw the disclaimer out there that those may change, but you can go and get a first glance at that by checking out Rob and Chris talking about those on his video that debuted today. This came out on Valentine's Day. So 
by the time you're listening to this, it came out yesterday. Um, so, and that's what we'll get into. We'll, we'll kind of go ahead and open it up and talk to Chris and Gabe here about the K&L starter decks and what all has gone into that. So I guess I mentioned that it came out of nowhere for us, but you guys have clearly been working on that. How long has this been in the works? And is it true that Jaden talked you into making new starter decks? <laughs> um, I'm going to jump in first and just say that I am standing in for Tyler. Uh, Tyler and Chris were the lead design on this. But Tyler has a lot going on in real life right now. He had planned to be here tonight and didn't work out for him. So I'm just sitting in for Tyler. Um, no, Jaden did not talk us into it. They were actually in the works and, and made at the point that Jaden had uh, made his original post on the forum. So then, of course, it was entertaining for us to see what people were talking about and, and what people were thinking. And not to say that we didn't listen to those ideas and it wasn't too late to incorporate things that people talked about, but we had already made most of the decisions regarding the starter deck at the time that that discussion happened. So it was, it was funny for us to sit back and watch that. Yeah, that's, I, uh, that's what we were talking about too. And it was fun when your episode, I think you said it was episode four came on um, and you and I think it was Brad were running through the ideas of what you guys had. Um, you know, what you thought, what you would do if you made starter decks and whatever. Um, and, and so we, it was kind of fun to sit back and go, yep, that's in there. Nope. Well, we didn't do that one, but maybe we could, or no, I don't, I don't think we want to go that route, but it was definitely fun to, to see what everybody was thinking and what, um, you know, your guys thought processes was and your reasoning and your rationale for that and how it compared to what we had already established and what we wanted to do with it. Um, and there were some conversations that we had about a few things that came up about whether we wanted to do this or do that. Um, and then some of it was really cool. It was like, see, this is why we did this. And obviously most, not everybody's going to agree with everything is the big thing. Um, but most of the community is on board with this. So let's do it. Let me ask you this. Was there any ideas that me and Brad came up with that you were just like, that's terrible. No, they will never make it into a starter deck. I don't remember anything, you know, it's been, I mean, what, what episode are we on? Uh, this is going to be 18, I believe. So it's been 14 weeks since I listened to that. So, uh, I probably should have gone back and re-listened to it, but just to see, um, but I don't remember anything standing out. Well, if we weren't that far off base, then that, that it didn't stand out for you to remember that we were that far off. So you mentioned Gabe, that you're sitting in for Tyler who couldn't be here. So And I know that there's been mention, I think, both uh, Chris and uh, Tyler, when he was on, you guys have mentioned that you are kind of, I guess, spearheading some of the future future things on the docket for the game moving forward. So was this kind of the first step toward taking the reins of set development moving forward? It wasn't the first step. Um, So if you go back and remember kind of what we were talking about, I came on officially as a, you know, play tester elder or whatever. Um, I was officially brought on in um, lineage of Christ development process. Uh, most of the cards were already there. So it was just a matter of helping play test and, and kind of flesh out things and, and adjust things. Um, and so that was a good first experience for me. And then Gabe had already been talking about how he um, has enjoyed doing all of these things. I can let Gabe speak for himself, obviously. Um, But 
that he was looking to to get out and needed somebody to potentially take the reins. And honestly, everything was was set with LOC for kind of John and Justin to honestly take over. And then life kind of took hold uh, with the the COVID stuff and with work, uh, particularly for John, and just made it where that wasn't possible. Um, so when all of that kind of came to be, I volunteered for it, actually, um, that I was willing to, you know, kind of help lead and guide. But I also at the same time did not feel fully capable of doing that by myself. Um, so I pitched that Tyler come on in particular with GOC to kind of get the feel for it. Like I did with LOC and, um, you know, understand kind of what this side looks like and what that does. And also because when Tyler and I kind of get together, um, the, the uh, creative juices get flowing between one or both of us. So if somebody's stuck on something, the other one literally just picks up where they left off and finishes it out. Um, and so the first step towards us becoming um, kind of, I guess, you, if you want to call them the leads or whatever for the projects was Gabe basically saying, OK, you guys are obviously about to start this up and do this. So here's what we um, we have two or three different brigades that um, in GOC that don't have direct or full direction yet. So I'm going to give you guys creative freedom to do that. Um, and so we, we did that and a lot of what we, um, did kind of stuck and it helped us, you know, have the confidence to know that we could do this and, you know, hopefully gave the, the other team members the confidence that we, we could also handle it. So, yeah, in particular, if you like a GOC gold, you can thank Tyler and Chris. If you don't like them or don't like GOC gold, you can blame Tyler and Chris. (laughs) Yeah. All right. So getting that first step on GOC obviously kind of um, springboarded you in, or, in order to be able to, I guess, take the lead on this. How how did the timing line up for you guys working on K&L with Gospel of Christ? Um, and did, did it kind of overlap at some point? Or was it just kind of getting the basics down for what GOC was going to be and then rolling over to K&L? Or how did, how did that line up? A little bit of all the above. Um <clears throat> So when we knew that we were um, taking over, so at the beginning of, or the end of LOC and the beginning of GOC, we brought, I brought Tyler on to help me create these brigades. And we, when we, then after kind of creating those and pitching those to, to Gabe and the team, um, at that point, we also decided we kind of wanted to sit down and have an idea for what we wanted to do for the set. So we knew, you know, uh, kind of the direction we were wanting to go. So the development of what Tyler and I are planning on doing started developing, honestly, right when GOC was kind of still in its infancy stage. Um, and then ever since then, we have kind of been working together in the background as we have time, you know, as, as his schedule allows and, and I have some time to take a call or something like that. Then we uh, we've been working on it along. Obviously, GOC has been um, priority and we want to we wanted to play test that and get that out and, and make sure that was a good product that you guys were going to enjoy. So that did take precedence, but that also there's also the difference between being able to sit down and talk for an hour 
you know, about the direction and what we want to include in some sets and sitting down for two hours and having a playtest game. You know what I mean? Um, so there were some nights that we just either didn't have the mental capacity to play test or the time to play test. So we would, you know, spend 30 minutes here, an hour there, uh, kind of developing the, the thought process and where we wanted to go. That's a good point about the difference between development and the design stages of a set, Chris. Um, so when we're designing a set, we're coming up with the ideas and the concepts and the themes that we want to go in there. We're, we're deciding what those should look like and how they should interact and what we're going to use and like what Bible references we're going to use and what parts of the Bible we're going to touch on and, and how we want that to relate to everything else in the game. And there's a lot of thinking and sitting down and discussing in time in front of a computer. And that's a different set of time than like when we have available to sit down and play a game. Like if I have time to sit down and play test, which is what we would call the development side of things, um, then I'm going to sit down and play games with somebody but, you know, a good portion of my time that I have available, it's not these blocks of time where I can sit down and play games or that I have somebody available to play a game with. And so you can spend that time working on developmental things. And so they don't really have to be in conflict. There's a little bit of overlap there, um, but they, they're really two different sets of things that you can do with your time and, and depending on what you have available. Um, so specifically, we got GOC phase one pretty well wrapped up. And at that point, Tyler and Chris jumped in and they started um, on the new starter decks. Um, we'll call them K&L for simplicity's sake. That's what the community refers to them as. Interesting. Uh, I always hear people refer to starter decks as, you know, G&H, I&J, K&L. But technically, that's never been the name of our starter decks. The I and J starter decks are called fourth edition. Um, that's what Cactus named them. That's what Rob refers to them as, but that's not what our community refers to them as. So we've thrown around the idea of actually giving the starter decks a name, something a little more catchy than fifth edition. If Rob's willing, we haven't vetted that conversation with him yet, but uh, we'll see if the community calls them anything different than K and L. Yeah. And you mentioning the name, I was that was one of the things in the episode with me and Brad talking about what we would want in starter decks, and I was like, "Drop the K and L name," and here we are, we're calling them K and L <laughs> as a community. Um, I guess old old habits die hard. Yep. <laughs> so let me ask you, um, Chris, the when you sent those to Rob and he did his video, that was, if I remember the date correctly, it was January sixteenth that you guys recorded that. So at this point. It's been almost a month now. So, and you were giving those to him so that he could, uh, with his play group, where he has some new players and things of that nature, could help you guys play test. How has the process of play testing the starter decks gone? And how close do you think you are with being satisfied with where those cards are that make up the starter decks? Uh, play testing has gone pretty well. We, we were actually talking about it today and we're going to try to ramp it up a little bit um, just because again, we're, we're, we as a group are kind of winding down on some GOC phase two play testing. We, we think of most of that stuff is, is in a good spot. So, um, and the guys that we also have play testing, the starter decks are not people um, that have play test some of these, you know, more intensive sets. We've actually sent them to a few different guys that, have some young kids um, that could give us a real feel 
um, for what we wanted these starter decks to look at. So I'm probably jumping ahead, but um, the main thing is with these starter decks, we're not, I mean, I guess we'll just say it bluntly, John, these starter decks are not for you, buddy. Um, you're, you're already established in the game. You already know how to play the game. You already know what you're doing. Um, and you are buying sets and you're buying cards and you're, you know, creating your own collection and all this. So this isn't really for you. This is, um, per Rob's request, um, the introduction to redemption. So it, we wanted to send this to people that we knew had young and new players that maybe had no prior game experience in other games and using that as an opportunity for us to make sure we're hitting certain marks, which is, is it simple? Is it easy to explain? Does all of this make sense to people who have never played games before? And is it a, a good experience for a brand new player for redemption? And, and so the playtesting so far has gone pretty well. We've gotten um, some very good, solid feedback from the, the people we've sent it to about the interactions and, and the simplicity, but also that it's, it is actually still fun enough to play multiple times despite the simplicity. Well, let me ask you this, since you mentioned that it is not for me and it's for um, more of an introduction to the game. One of the big things that came up with the discussion that was started by Jaden posting that on the boards and then with mine and Brad's conversation on episode four um, was a lot of talk about the themes and what characters or what themes that you would put in the starter deck for it to be recognizable for people that might not have uh, expansive Bible knowledge and things of that nature. So what themes are actually present in the starter decks? Well, that's kind of the fun that we had with, with your episode four. So, we, so what did you say? What what are the what are the people that you think of when you think of the Bible and you think of Bible stories and things like that? Who who are the people you think of? I'm pretty sure that I mentioned David, and I really don't remember. You're putting me on the spot. Maybe I should have went back and <laughs> listened to the episode again. <laughs> well, I mean, think off the top of your head. I mean, I, I mean, I would I would think most people have Adam and Eve. And then they know about um, the the flood and the big boat. And then from that, you have Moses freeing the, uh, you know, with God's help, freeing mm-hmm. his his people, and then wandering in the 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 desert for uh, that period of time. And then I think the next, like honestly, if you're talking about people that don't know the Bible, I think it almost fast forwards to okay, here's David. Like there's just there's a lot of things that happen with you know like the the period of judges and things of that that nature and all of the the different generations that are represented there. But people that don't know the Bible necessarily they don't necessarily know about Gideon and things of that nature. And it just goes right into David because everybody knows about David writing the Psalms and having such a big impact on the Old Testament. And then I would say from there, you're looking at some people probably know a little bit about the prophets. Um, and, you know, prophesy about the coming Messiah. And then you jump right into the New Testament things. And I would say from people that don't have much Bible knowledge, that's probably how they see the Old Testament. I don't think I'm missing anything major there. 
I think that's pretty accurate. And then, right. and then obviously with the New Testament, you know, you have Jesus being born. Everybody knows about the birth story. And then Jesus with his ministry, his death, resurrection, um, after being crucified. And then you have all of the disciples. And this is where, like, it kind of blends in because you have Paul starting his ministry and doing all of that. And then they know that most of the, I think most people probably know at least if they don't know that most of, uh, or I guess all of the disciples were martyred at one point. But I think one of the more memorable ones is Peter and his death. And then you've got revelation and it ends like there. I don't know how well I did there from a, uh, from a, (laughs) from a simple overview for non biblical uh, historians, but I would think those are the major themes that people keep up with just right. just from like how they're they're indoctrinated into our society through other mediums. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like you probably even touched on quite a few things that most unchurched people don't know about as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're going to be common to anybody who's churched, but uh, any unchurched people wouldn't even know about some of those things for sure. Yeah, so I mean, and that's perfect base, uh, and that's exactly kind of what we were thinking about, right? So we wanted the starter decks to be something that drew people in, um, and were about uh, mostly characters that they kind of know about. You know what I mean? Um, and if you look at it from a balanced standpoint, as far as if you want stories to kind of make sense, uh, there's a lot of gaps within the things that you even mentioned, or there's things that are we don't need to do, right? So you mentioned Adam and Eve and um, and all of that, and, and we talked about doing some Genesis stuff, but um, Fall of Man hit that really well. And and who's the who's the evil that they are against? You know what I mean? Antediluvians like does, themselves. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, you know who Cain is, and then, but... And then you get into theology because they were really just against their own sinful nature versus, mm-hmm. like, the bad guy like David and Goliath. Right, yep. right. And so that was... And so Fall of Man kind of hit that, so we kind of skipped over that. Then you talked about the the prophets, and everybody knows that there was a bunch of prophets, but they don't necessarily know who was who and which story goes with which. But we also just did that with Prophecies of Christ, you know, you jump to the New Testament like you talked about. You talk about the birth of Jesus and the death of Jesus. Well, guess what? We have a new set for you called GOC that's going to hit most of that. You know, so it's like, so where do we go? Do we jump all the way back to the end of Revelation of John? I mean, Revelation of John cards are still in rotation. They're still viable. There's still some really good stuff in there. Um, so do we we go there or do we hit the two stories that everybody knows that you mentioned that haven't been hit. And that's what we decided. So we have David versus Goliath and we have Moses versus Pharaoh. Within the, uh, within the themes of those, you mentioned that it was for newer players. Are you targeting newer, younger players? And then what were the primary goals and objectives for those starters? So um, obviously you wanted the themes to be something that people kind of had an idea about, but maybe didn't know specifics about. And then, from that, what are like the gameplay goals and things of that nature to um, help introduce the game in a great light for a new player? 
Well, I think we were trying to target new players overall, whether they were young or old, anybody that is new into redemption, we wanted to make sure the game was going to be accessible to them and uh, of easier to learn way. Even though we've labeled LOC and GOC as intermediate sets, and they are certainly more simple than a lot of things we've done in the past, um, there's still a lot going on in those sets. And to even build some some constructed kind of starter type decks out of there, it'd be a pretty big task to teach somebody using those. It's maybe a great second step once you've learned the game. Um, so we wanted the starter decks to be simple in the way that I and J were simple. Um, the, the abilities were not long. They were not complicated abilities. There are some things we've learned from I and J we felt like could be improved upon. Um, so we were looking to have a lot of interactions, um, not no more negate last like negate last got messy in inj so it's just negate an evil card or negate an evil enhancement or or that kind of thing so we think that that's going to help simplify things um the interactions and this was going to come down to brigades a little bit i saw some interesting discussions on brigades and the starter decks on the on the forum and this was actually after we'd had that same discussion and um, we talked about, do we make them single brigade start offense and defense? Do we keep it two brigades on both sides? And um, we decided it was important for players to learn that you have to play enhancements on the correct color. And there's more than one brigade in the game for offense and one brigade for defense. And so we decided that we were going to do like a half and half type thing. The defenses always felt awkward and clunky to us to a certain degree. And it's important to be able to block. So we thought that a single brigade on the defense was going to help the defense function better. And we thought if we made the offenses um, maybe a little bigger than the offense in the past, that uh, at least hero-wise, we have more heroes and maybe a a similar number of enhancements. Um, When I say we, that's Tyler and Chris. They they did that. Um, But there's... Uh, two brigades there, but there's enough cards that you're probably not going to get droughted a lot with one brigade or the other. Um, another thing that they did as far as interactions, and this is uh, really good and really helpful, there's there's more draw abilities than what we saw in I and J. And it might just be a draw one on this character and a draw one on that card, maybe a draw two here and there. Um, but there's enough of that to keep things going to help the decks flow faster and flow better. So it keeps the game moving along quicker, and it also helps keep soul drought from being a thing. Um, in addition to that, and uh, I believe these are probably going to make it through the cut, but they came up with a really clever card to create soul gen. So we have the like, Fishers of Men and Gideon's uh, Gideon's Call, I believe, and I and J that can just reveal up to nine cards and hopefully flush a soul out of the deck if you need it. We've all, if you've played those very much, you have whiffed with nine cards sometimes. Like you're trying to soul gen, your nine cards come up and you're like, oh my goodness, I can't believe there wasn't a soul. I've been waiting three turns for you to draw a soul. There's got to be one in your top nine. Nope, still not a soul. Um, So you won't have any of that with K&L. There are characters in the decks that can pull a soul out for you if you need them to. And the, the soul gen enhancement territory class also is a a kind of a a double-edged thing where you can use it to pull a hero out of your deck and a soul. So the cost of getting your hero is that you now have another soul to defend, or you can pull a soul out of the opponent's deck and you have to pull an evil character as well. So now they have a chance to block. Um, They have a a better chance to block. 
Um, so it creates more interaction in the battle phase with the way that those work. Um, and I thought that was really clever. I don't know if Chris or Tyler came up with that, but it was, it's, a, it's a really cool mechanic. And it was done in a very simple way. That sounds really complex when I explain it. But when you see this, it was done fairly simply. And, and I think it's really elegant. That does sound really cool of a way to, um, I guess, if you need in a pinch, you kind of decide on soul gen or whether you need to, you know, come up with a way to um, get a hero out of your deck. Kind of like those uh, cost and card. A lot of cards nowadays, I guess I don't know really the best way to explain this, but a lot of cards are being developed with like two uses and you're deciding on which way to use it. And so if you add that to the starter deck, that that's pretty cool that it's going to be in there to kind of get people thinking about it critically when they play a card, not just playing it. Okay, it says do this, so I do exactly this, but having that choice or whatnot. Um, also in the starter decks, um, from what we saw from Rob's video with his playtest set, is there's fortresses and artifacts and a four-card reserve. So... Was this um, was the design team like all on board with expanding the scope of the starter decks to include those extra elements, or was it kind of just something that ended up needing to happen because it was necessary to give it a true representation of the game to introduce players to it? Because I know that was one of the the sticking points with the community is how much of this do we need to include and how much of it becomes too, uh, how much of it do you have before it becomes too much for a quote-unquote starter deck so how did you guys you know i guess balance the discussion and end up deciding to include those well i wouldn't say we were all on the same page with those things um but the way our team works and we're really good about this is that we support one another in this case um i personally was not on the same page with tyler and chris about including artifacts and fortresses um, they're not necessary at a functional level to teach somebody the game. Like you have to have heroes and enhancements. You have to have lost souls and you have to have evil characters and evil enhancements. And it probably helps to have dominance. And now we're back to I and J. And the reason that Brian took us that direction back when he designed the simplistic version of starter decks for the game. Um, but you don't need fortresses, sites, artifacts, some of these other card types that we use. Uh, but Tyler and Chris felt that it was important to be able to introduce new players to a simple version of those cards. And, you know, once we got to seeing what they came up with and even playing with them, um, I, first of all, I supported them from the beginning because that's what they wanted to do. Um, but once I, I was actually interacting with those, I do think it's a good thing. I don't think that it makes the starter decks too complicated. Um, like some of the comments on the forums when people were discussing starter decks was, you know, maybe not curses and, and covenants and, and sites aren't necessarily good in sealed deck and starter play. Um, so we don't have those types. We don't need every card type that the game has to offer. But having a fortress in there and teach people how those work and an artifact, um, I do think that there's some benefit to that. Yeah, basically that. Like he said, I mean, it was something that we thought – um, would be a benefit, and that was um, kind of a complaint with IJ is that they were maybe a little bit too basic because they didn't include anything else. And you played IJ, you played a couple of games, you figured out how the game worked, and then all of a sudden it's like, boom, here's all this other stuff. Um, so we kind of wanted to, again, make very simplistic versions of these um, so that the transition from brand new play to more experienced slash competitive play wasn't so overwhelming. 
Okay. Yeah, that's definitely understandable. So you kind of hinted on this that, Gabe, when you, you mentioned that you guys decided on having one brigade for defense because it's important to block and you don't want to have those turns where you just you feel like you're locked out because of I've got this color enhancement but this color evil character. But then you guys decided to keep it on offense, I guess, to make it um, – to, to, you know, drive home the point that there are multiple brigades within the game of redemption and you have to match those. Um, what is, was it was it just easier on offense because offense is, you know, quote-unquote posing the question to be answered? Is that kind of why you guys left it on offense versus defense to have multiple brigades? The way that Tyler and Chris designed the decks, it makes it easier for the offenses to work having two different brigades. Um, there's a number of ways you can do that that I and J didn't approach. Um, the angels and the disciples function very well individually, but they really don't interact with each other outside of uh, an enhancement or two that can be played on both of them. And the same can be said for the, the Ruth theme and the judges. They really don't interact much together. They're like two separate components working side by side. But um, So the offenses in these decks work very well together. There's interactivity between them. Um, between characters banding to one another, um, between characters having similar effects so that you don't have to, uh, well, if you want a certain thing, you have to go with this offense or the other offense. So you're not limited by uh, what the characters are doing or just the enhancements you have in your hand. There are a, a small number of dual brigade enhancements to help ease that tension as well. And part of the the design of these is that there are, are more heroes. There were only four heroes in each brigade in INJ. And so, and there were more enhancements. So you could seriously, you could draw the enhancements for one brigade because you had a lot of those, but you were limited to four heroes. And if you'd lost one or two of those in a battle, you were extremely limited, especially if you were drawing that brigade of enhancement again. Um, so I don't think you're going to see that near as much in KNL. We certainly haven't in the testing that we've done. So it really comes back to the design of the offenses that allow the two brigades to work together well. Um, we can take this to an extreme level. We see in constructed play where people sometimes are designing offenses that use five and six brigades because they all work together well. There's characters band into one another. You have certain enhancements that work on different ones. and um, So it's a, a smaller scale of that used in the starters. And, and another thing, too, that when we started making that conscious decision, the there's a big difference between being able to look at your hand and go, okay, I have these enhancements for this character and these enhancements for this character. Which one is going to be my better attack? Do I want to go in with somebody that might be able to get me something, but maybe not, but I still have something for them or whatnot? Um, so offense, you kind of already have that manipulation as to which character is going to be better to attack with. And you have, um, you, you know what I mean? Like you're, you're attacking with the foreknowledge of what's in your hand and what even potentially that you can generate. Whereas with defense, you are at the mercy of my draw. And again, if, if I have, for instance, with the IJ, if I have my gray character, but I only have gray enhancements and, you know, your numbers are close to mine or something like that, or you're negating my evil character, then I literally have nothing that I can do um, to stop you. So we definitely wanted the one brigade on defense to kind of make that feels bad moment lesser and, and almost not a thing as much as possible. 
Um, but then on offense, because you kind of have the conscious choice of um, of what you want to use and what you can use, obviously, you know, you know, maybe in the early game or something, you're at the mercy of I only drew this color and not the other. But um, for, for the most part, you know, offense gives you a choice, whereas defense is more of a reactionary situation. Okay, cool. Um, so the thing that caused the most, I would say the most reaction to Rob's video was um, you had priests that were Old Testament and they were clay, which had been reserved for New Testament um, church themes and then martyrs. And then you had Egyptians that were pale green. So um, I guess on behalf of the community, I would just like to say, what the heck is going on, guys? <laughs> Chris, you got this one, buddy. Um, maybe we are just playing mind games and sent them to Rob as those colors just to throw all of you off and nothing is changing. Or maybe a ton is changing and, and we just uh, were using this as a subtle announcement. I don't know. What do you think? Um. I don't know how subtle it was if this was the announcement, but (laughs) (laughs) um, it seems like maybe you guys are cutting out a brigade for both offense and defense to not be so far spread on the color spread for those. Um, You might be kind of right. If we think about steps that we've taken in the last few years to help simplify the game, we're moving in a certain direction. And we want the game to be approachable, but yet it had become to a level of complexity that it just wasn't very approachable for a new player. And we're going to continue to work towards making the game approachable and less complex. And so there's going to be a lot of things that change in the coming years here as we continue to to hopefully help shape the game and guide it in a direction that's still really fun, but not as overwhelming and complicated as it has been in the past. Okay. Well, let me ask a a follow-up question. Is this signaling that there will be another rotation in the future? Are you guys even thinking about that? Or is that completely not in the realm of thought right now? Well, I mean, I can say that um, it was something that we had discussed and, and were cautiously approaching. Um, and kind of wanted to get feedback from the community a lot, I would say, um, to, to see kind of what some of you thought and, and your reactions to some things. And, um, and again, obviously, when, when you discuss changes and things like that, there are going to be some people that are happy and there's going to be some people that aren't happy. So you're not going to please everybody. You know, even with these starter decks, it, there's we could have there's no telling all the things that we could have done with the starter decks. Um, and somebody was going to be upset with something that we do, you know what I mean? Um, but the fact that the community kind of as a whole has, has embraced the rotation idea and, um, potentially even likes blocks, uh, formats and things like that, um, did say that it was something that we, could pursue. So it, it, you know, it's one of those things where we um, are going to make these 
changes and we will consider it. And if, if everything continues going the path that it does, then maybe it is something we do. If, if something happens and it doesn't, you know, continue that direction, then we can always just not rotate and we just have a few cards that look a little different. You know what I mean? I think it's also fair to say that, uh, you know, if you would ask us at one point in time, if there would ever be a rotation and redemption, everybody would have said, no, that's not going to happen. The get redemption's a unique game because you can play every card that's ever created. And I bet they always keep it that way. But yeah, a time came around when we realized that rotation was needed for the health of the game. And so we would be foolish to say that there will, if the game continues uh, as it has today, that we'd be foolish to say there's never a time when another rotation would be needed. Um, that's not to say that we have another rotation planned in three years, five years, 10 years, um, or that we know what the next rotation would look like necessarily, but we do want to take steps to guide ourselves. So it, when and if that time comes, we're, we're prepared to do that. I guess that's all, that's all fair. Um, so with the, the last starter decks, with I and J coming out, it was um, the first time. I, I guess it came out, and then ten twenty six after it, I believe, was the timing. But around the time of I J, they were printed on the new card face, and that kind of um, you know gave the game a facelift as far as card design. And some of the card elements had um, some changes from Rob's video this morning. Um, so what are the changes to the layout, the key changes to the card layout? And can you tell us how those came to be and how you guys decided on those? Well, with the last starters being the, the first time that the card face had ever changed, we, and we've also just ended, um, an entire block that we've been working on for a long time. Um, it's kind of a transition period in the game. Um, we're starting new things. We're doing new starter decks. Um, a new team of guys has taken over the lead design for the next few sets, blocks, or whatever that looks like. Um, so it's definitely a transition time. New things are happening. We thought this would be a good opportunity to make some changes to the card face if we felt like changes were needed. Um, as the guy who does most of the card design, I just started throwing some ideas out there at the team. What do you think of this? What do you think of that? One of the things that we feel like was really important is and it was probably a miss on the last redesign is not getting something to help the identifier stand out. Um, I saw one of the designs that Doug Gray had sent to Rob when we were looking at that redesign and it had the bubble for the identifier. And I don't know why that didn't, that wasn't kept, um, but for some reason it wasn't. And so that identifier just kind of sits there on the, the border. And especially as we've gone to special borders, that can be hard to read sometimes and it doesn't stand out. So that was one of the main things we wanted to change and a pretty important change. I feel like to identifiers can be really key to certain cards and for players to miss those, whether it's an X factor or a certain civilization that that character is part of like that, that's an important thing to, to be able to know. Um, so the other big change with the design is that the, there's a gradient into the text box so that the scripture is separate from the, the text. Um, honestly, when we presented these to Rob and the team decided on the changes we wanted, um, I wasn't sure how he was going to feel about that. Just having worked with Rob in the past, I thought that might be the one thing he's like, I don't necessarily like that. And if Rob doesn't like it, we don't do it. That's, that's cool. 
Um, but he came back and that was the one thing he said he really liked, which totally caught me off guard. Just when you think, you know, a guy, um, but he liked that because he said it made it easier for him to read. And, you know, as we all age, our eyes don't work quite as well. And especially back when the text was over the picture, man, cards can be really hard to read, but he's like, anything we can do to make the cards easier to read is a good thing in his mind. And it helps the ability and the scripture stand apart from each other. So I think that that's going to be a good thing as well. Um, there's some other subtle design changes. Um, there's, you're not going to see this a lot because there's only a couple dual brigade cards in the starter deck, but the, instead of having just the hard line between the brigade split, there's a subtle gradient there now. So they kind of fade into each other. Um, just something that I feel like looks a little bit more pleasing to the eye. Um, let's see some other changes. Well, you're going to notice the borders specifically on the K and L decks are different than what we've seen in the past. And that comes from just a lot of feedback we've heard from especially new players over the years, because these are four new players. Um, and that is, what do the borders mean? What do these different colors mean? Um, so this, the borders on the K and L deck are very intentional. They're all different versions of basically the same kind of textured gradient background. They're all done in different colors based on card type. So you're going to see all of the purple heroes in one deck have one specific border on them to show that, hey, these guys all go together and all the evil characters in the deck are going to have a different color border so that they stand out. And like these guys are all the evil characters. The dominants have yet a different border. Um, all of the souls for each deck have different borders. So it's clear that this group of souls is for that deck. And the other group of souls is for the other deck. You don't have to look at the K and L to find out. You can look at the borders and it should be obvious right from the get-go. Um, so I think that's going to be an improvement for the starter deck specifically. Now, whether or not we do that for every card after this and the sets, I doubt if we go to that degree. But I thought it was important for the starters to do that. Um, I guess one one other other thing about that. I thought, and I could be wrong, but I thought that... Um, on the Lost Souls, the name of the, the card, like Lost Soul, was centered on the card. Did I did I see that wrong, or is that how it is on the starter decks? Yeah, I'm going to have to look. It sure is. Yeah, that's another change. And actually, the reason for that is the, the card title being off-centered from the Brigade box makes sense to me. It helps give it balance from a design standpoint. But with the Lost Souls, having no... Um, brigade box or anything up there, no icon box. Um, I felt like having the title centered made more sense to me. Um, it also helps Lost Soul stand out as a different card type that should never be in your hand. <laughs> so um, that's another thing you have to teach new players is that, that soul that's in your hand, that doesn't belong there. Um, so yeah, having the Lost Soul title centered, I forgot about that. There are possibly some other changes that are not finalized yet, but we actually have just started talking about this past week um, that might help with the overall um, the printing of the cards and help us avoid something that I would call like off-center cutting. Uh, that's something I really don't like, but it happens a lot with our printer. And so I've actually been doing some research and some work with the printer to find out what we can do from a design standpoint to maybe help alleviate that or work with it if it's something we can't fix. And so there's some things that we might be able to do to help with that. But those are conversations that are still in process. That's that's definitely awesome to hear. That was that was one of the things that when I first started uh, buying the new cards 
with a new card face. Um, I think one of the first cards that I opened that was really bad was a Cloud of Witness Moses, and like all of the colors almost shifted to one side, and then you've got a huge white border on one side and very thin on the other side. So that, uh, hearing that there's progress being at least uh, talked about being made in that and seeing what we can do to uh, help with that is awesome to hear. Um, so having the border on the starter deck cards, the way that it is, is just as of now, just for the starter deck. So we're not losing any of the artistic graphics um, that have been in the ability box that gradient box is is currently just for the starter decks, and we're not necessarily going to see it in sets moving forward. I would probably expect all of these design elements to be in sets going forward. The one thing that maybe won't translate over into the sets is having, like, we'll say all of the, the gold heroes have the same border on them necessarily, like same color, same everything. Um, I don't know how much you could see on the video. But, uh, for example, the, uh, we'll say the, the clay heroes kind of had a teal border. Um, isn't that ironic? So clay heroes have a teal border in the starter deck. All the clay cards do, both the enhancements and the heroes. all have the same teal border. So our gold heroes in the next set after the starter deck, they may, like the Egyptians had like the hieroglyphic border and, and cloud of witnesses and some of the sets after that. But they were all different colors, even though they were the hieroglyphics. Um, so, and most recently on the discord, we talked about how the gold heroes in GOC used the same border and it was like just this swirly background that had been recolored for different cards. Um, they're not all going to be the same necessarily in the sets. So that part of the design element is unique to the starter deck to help new players, but the rest of the design changes are going to carry forward onto all the cards going forward. They're not just for starters. So with the, um, not to get sidetracked down this as a rabbit hole, but the gradient with the, the dark um, background where the scripture text is, is that still yep. going to leave potentials for having some graphics inside the ability box? Because I really like on GOC, there's a few cards that have like, um, I believe the disciples casting their fishing net, things like that inside the ability box you can see. So is that still going to be possible to have that in that in that ability box? It, it absolutely is. Um, so is what that is is actually, and we've done this a number of times in the past, is taken something thematic, and um, that's actually part of the color border around the card. It goes behind the text box, and the text box is partially see-through. Um, so we can still put those design elements back there you're not going to be able to see them very well behind that gradient scripture text, but you'll be able to see it behind the rest of the box. And actually, depending on what it is, if it's dark, you'll see it behind the top half of the box where the special ability is. But if it's a light design element, you would see it behind the scripture and not as well behind the, the text, the ability text. We'll still do that for sure, though. Okay, cool. Um, I know that's one of the things that I, I really liked uh in the last couple of sets, there was a little bit more of that and it, it really uh, makes the cards pop and whatnot. Yeah. I, I like doing that too. I, I plan to continue. Cool. Cool. Um, let me ask you guys this. And I, I guess you, you kind of already said that, uh, well, I guess you said it on, on the video, Chris, that you don't necessarily know when this is going to happen, but is there any type of 
time frame that are we looking like possibly two years away, uh, six months away? Is it is are we targeting to possibly have new starters by nationals? Is there anything you can tell us about the time frame of getting these in players' hands? I mean, how bad do you really want them in your hand? I mean, you're still content with IJ, right? Um, I absolutely would want new starters in my hand yesterday. Oh, okay. <sighs> I mean, you've got GOC to play with, though. You really need new starters. Yeah, yeah but think about think about GOC and LOC supplementing sealed deck with new starters. Gabe, do you do? You, would you like to potentially use new starters at your nationals? Well, I guess it'd be fun. I'll tell you what. I'll I'll try to make that work. How about? Wow, Chris, you, you're the man. Thanks for that. I appreciate it. So we're just gonna do it like that. So <laughs> you're saying K K and L, which we're not supposed to call K and L, fifth edition. That's going to get some jazzy new name. You guys are targeting to have those available by nationals in Iowa this year. In that late July. Be, that might be something we're trying to do. Now, there's always printer deals that we have to work around and work with. and uh, But we have talked to Rob, and Rob has agreed to have K&L decks, like kind of an initial test run, available at Nationals. Um, I believe we're going to be able to use them for sealed deck. That's the plan right now. What? And they will be uh, a Nationals exclusive, kind of like the early church phase one had an exclusive release at Nationals. Um, these will be only for sealed deck, as far as I know. Now, there might be some extra ones available for sale afterwards. I, I don't know for sure. I'm not committing to anything. In fact, we can't even promise it'll be there because of printer issues. Right. Um, but the the starter decks, and we'll just we'll call it Israel's Deliverance. Uh, is the name of the starter decks for now. Um, that's that's our working name that, that we're using. Um, and that's not official, by the way, but that's if Tyler was here, I know he would be excited to say that. And since I'm in his place, I'm going to say it for him. Yep. Um, so Tyler has titled them Israel's Deliverance. It's a really cool name, and it's really for, fitting for what's going on there. Um, both David was used to deliver Israel from the nations around him, and Moses was used to deliver Israel from Egypt. Um, so really, really cool thing that Tyler's come up with and with Chris come up with as well with Tyler's help. Um, so we hope to have Israel's deliverance and sealed deck at nationals exclusive release. So if you were on the fence about coming to nationals, you hopefully you just fell off the side that gets you there. Let's go. So sealed deck at nationals possibly has starter decks that are not titled K and L, but are titled Israel's deliverance. Yep, come to Nationals, play Israel's Deliverance and Sealed Gosh. Deck. It's going to be amazing. Dude, Nationals is... Is this going to be the greatest Nationals of all time? We hope so. Well, I hope so. I hope so. We're <sighs> as a team. We're really trying to get Nationals hype back up. To, I mean, COVID has killed the attendance the last couple of years and people's ability to travel and people have had financial hardships and all these different reasons. Um, but the bottom line is we would like to get nationals to build, build back up, build up the height, build up the incentives to get people there. Um, and we haven't even told you everything yet. There are more things that are coming out in the near future. They're going to make nationals amazing. You don't even know it all yet. And I mean, I wish I could just say it all tonight, but we're focused on K and L tonight. So yep. there you go. Well, 
We can we can stop this recording and start the next one so you can go ahead and tell me. <laughs> I don't have to tell everybody else. You can just tell me. Exclusive for John Hendricks. Yes. Right. All right. So how how did you guys work down to the simplistic design for K and L and um, get them into their their straightforward state that they're currently in? Easy answer uh, is when the guys who've been at this a while smacked us across the face and said, hey, wait a second, this isn't what we planned. No. Um, <laughs> I mean, honestly, what happened uh, was a lot of Tyler and I got right into it. Um, like we said, after we kind of got GOC in a good spot and, and cards were being developed and we were discussing and in, in the discussion phase and things like that. Um, Tyler and I jumped right into it and we started going, um, and creating. And honestly, what we did is we went from help create and shape three or, you know, two, three, four brigades of GOC into a starter deck. And, um, needless to say, uh, simplicity was not, uh, a word that was used very often. Um, and so we created these things and, and we, um, we had some really fun abilities for uh, the Egyptian defense in particular, um, some stuff I'm not going to necessarily spoil yet because we are probably going to use it again, maybe. Um, and, and some, and some, a lot of fun stuff and, and things like that. And we even actually rolled them out. We presented them to Gabe. Um, and that's kind of what I was saying before that Gabe kind of helped groom us a lot because he, um, sat in on uh, several of our calls and kind of helped give us uh, thought processes about what they had done in the past. And, hey, this is like if we hit a kind of a roadblock, he would throw, throw out some ideas for us and things. Um, he was great in the sense that it was like, hey, I'm going to share my wealth of knowledge. And it's kind of like you can take it or leave it. You know, obviously, this is your guy's thing. Um but uh, obviously he's done it for a long period of time. So pretty much everything he said was, you know, spot on in gold and, and we used. Um, and then, so we presented this information, presented the stuff to, um, to the other guys and um, long story short, um, John was uh, completely exhausted from work, had no voice due to being sick and uh, presented the, the thought process of, hey, I noticed you have a lot of cards in this deck and this deck that basically are either identical or very similar. Um, how much of this uh, mirroring aspect do you have in the set? And, you know, do we like it? Do you want to do more of it? Do you want to do less of it kind of thing? And our response was, yeah, we had some mirroring because we felt like that would help um, some of the balancing issues and some of the things like that. Um, and and that's kind of all it was at, at the moment. But then I don't even know if it was a week later. It might have been a little bit longer than that. But pretty soon thereafter, um, obviously Gabe has, has done this longer than, than we have. He kind of came around to the idea of liking the mirror thought and he pitched it to us. And of course we were both like, yeah, we like that idea, but we created our baby, you know? Um, and then we just kind of sat on it for really, I don't even know if it was a day. 
um, and decided that mirroring did make a lot of sense because again, what are we creating this for? We're not creating this for us, you know, on this call. We're not creating this for people who have played redemption for 20 years. We've created this for people who do not know redemption and or people playing sealed deck with this. And if you think back to sealed deck, um, even with what we've got in IJ, those decks are not created equal. And everybody has a very strong opinion as to which deck is better than the other, right? And so the thought process was, well, how do we balance these and make this work where you sit down at the table, you open your pack, you flip it over, and you see that you've got the, you know, the L side, and you go, well, crap, I don't, I've already lost this game, regardless of what I draft, because the other deck's better. Um, that, That doesn't feel good when you sit down and play, especially at a tournament that you've paid money for or traveled for or something like that. So how do we balance starter decks? How do we do that? And the answer is they literally do the exact same thing. Um, because if, if you add any type of random thing here or there, or, um, you know, using, um, draws here or searches there or, you know, potentially reserving a card or making you discard a card from hand or um, things like that, you're going to get a whole lot of randomness. And if one whole set or one whole um, theme is built around that, then one theme is going to have a natural advantage over the other because it works or it doesn't work. You know what I mean? And and so we actually have really simplified these starter decks uh, by being them being exact mirrors of each other. So now when you sit down at the table at nationals, because we just announced that, right? Um, you will know that the way to win this game is, is mostly based on what you draft and, and how good of a player you are. Not, be, not uh, you're going to win or lose this game because of which deck you got. Yeah, to give a little bit of a history or backstory there, um, when Tyler and Chris were originally showing me some of their design, as part of their design process, Tyler had a a decent amount of mirroring in them, and I had seen it at that point, and I was like, oh no, I hope he's not going to make these the same. (laughs) But that was just a starting point for him, and he ended up branching them off, and they were varied, and, and, and they were different, and they were themed, and they were really cool and really exciting, if not just a little too complex. And as we honed those down and got them simplified to a point we felt like was good for the starter deck, and then we showed those to the team, and John said, yeah, if we really want these to be balanced, they should be mirrored. Um, You know, we didn't give that a whole lot of thought at at that moment. Um, But as we pondered that over the next few days, that really sunk into me that, okay, when we finished up I and J, we really felt like those were balanced. And clearly they're not. And we had some of the, I would say, some of the greatest minds that have ever developed a redemption set in in my experience, and at least in my time. We had Brian Hake, who was extremely good and really set the groundwork for those just being really basic and, and how to make them user-friendly for new people. Um, Justin Allstad was in on that. Mark Underwood, who used to be very involved in the game. John and myself. And uh, a number of other people were just really involved. And if this group of people for the amount of time we spent on that, which was probably a year, couldn't get those starter decks balanced, that I'm not confident that any amount of testing that we do with varied starter decks is ever going to come out balanced. 
Um, so really the only way to get them balanced so that they were played evenly against one another was going to be to mirror them. Um, John said that he, he jokingly said that he had one good idea for the year and he saved it and he used it for that. Now, fortunately, he brought that to us back. I think it was late November, early December. Um, so he still has a whole new year for a good idea. Um, so hopefully he, uh, he saves that one for us too. Hopefully it's not in his type one deck for nationals. <laughs> Give some other people a chance. Um, I guess how, how much playtesting did you guys do before you decided to, you know, reach out to Rob and other people to come on and help you guys? Um, I don't remember exactly how long it was, um, but it, it was probably, you know, a couple of months uh, that we, um, of course, when we say quote unquote play test, there was, it was a lot of, um, especially in the development phase, there's a whole lot of, okay, we, we have all of this created. Let's look at it. Let's sit down. What is this? Uh, how does this feel? Some of us print them out and, and physically have them in our hand and we kind of look it over and play, play, you know, test games with ourselves and, um, you know, controlling both decks. And, and we, we noticed very, and that was kind of another thing is, is after John mentioned that it was, um, we, we definitely, the balancing made the, the testing a lot easier and go a lot faster because we, there was a lot of very specific questions that we were having to ask about one of the decks in particular uh, to see what we needed to do to balance it. But so once we got the, the balancing standpoint out, like, um, like Gabe said, that was late November, early December, we, we spent a few weeks making sure everything was balanced and everything was, was pretty straightforward. And then, I mean, Rob got it mid January. So, I mean, we're talking, you know, just a few weeks between the, the changeover and sending it to them because it was, it should have been simplistic enough and, and balanced that we didn't have to worry about those two things anymore. And, and it was now a matter of, is it truly simplistic and how does the gameplay work out? Well, fantastic. Um, I think that that pretty much wraps it up for the questions that I have. And I guess that's a good thing. So I can go ahead and get this thing edited to give to the community tomorrow on schedule because you guys dropped an absolute bomb about possibly having these at sealed our, our four sealed deck at nationals. Um, right now, I know that you guys said we have to worry about printer and, and things of that nature, but if you had to, if you had to say, what are the odds like percentage wise, do you think we're looking at a 50, 50 shot of having it at nationals or is it better than that at this point? Or is it something you would rather not even want to answer? I wouldn't be willing to announce it if I didn't think it was a real possibility. Yeah. Um, Rob has agreed to allow it to happen. I honestly feel like today these starters could go to print and they are in a very good place. I'm not saying that nothing is going to change. We just changed some cards earlier today. Uh, I think four or five cards in the decks, but the changes we're making are minor and they're, they're functional things that improve interactions. We're not talking about broken stuff or things that just really are bad or not going to work. And we might still run into some more of those. We have a couple, probably at least two weeks before we need to send things to print in order to have them for nationals. Um, we're hoping to get GOC Phase 2 and the starters sent off at the beginning of March. Should give us plenty of time to get them back. And we hopefully, hopefully everything goes well there. 
um, I think it's a real possibility or I wouldn't want to say anything. Yeah, the, the plan has been, and that's why we have it to a couple of, you know, a few peop- few different people and we're going to send some information out and make sure we, we get to, so to play testing in earnest just to make sure everything looks balanced. But the plan is if, if we can have these done at the same time we officially send phase two off to print, which again, Rob is planning on having at Nationals, then the likelihood is very good that we'll get them. There's a question that I have that just hit my mind as soon as I said, I guess we'll wrap up here. Um, So people mentioned that the new IJ Plus starter decks are just packaged without a rule book. Are the new starters coming with a new edition of the rule book? So the plan for the rule book going forward is that it is going to be uh, an online living document that can be updated. Um, somebody mentioned just the other day they were looking at the fourth edition rulebook and that it still says something about the player who draws the most souls goes first. Um, now we know that that's not the case. That's not the way we play the game. It's a change we just made a few months ago. Um, but that's something that that document is, it, it wasn't made to be easily edited. Um, not say that it can't be edited, but the goal is to have an online rulebook document that can be changed and fixed as things within the game need to change so it won't have inaccuracies in it or we won't have to tell people, oh yeah, look over at this other document for that rule because that's messy and it's not user-friendly, especially to new people. You have to go look five different places to learn things about this game. Are you really going to keep investing in it and spending your time on it? For some people, the answer is no, and we don't want to turn them away for simple reasons like that. Um, now, maybe it'll be a turnoff to not have a physical rule book in hand. Um, but again, that, that can come with inaccuracies. And it is also a way for Cactus to save money. Um, it's a decision that Rob made and that he wants to do. It's not something we necessarily requested of him. But he came to us and, and asked if we thought it would be okay and if we thought it would be viable. And, and we do. Um, so they're going to have an online rule book. And there is a new rule book in the works. Um, I'll be able to spend more time on the creation of that, again, with the help of the team, um, once GOC Phase 2 is out the door. So we do expect to have that later this year, and in that same process, possibly a new version of the fourth edition rulebook. They'll probably be in the same format. That's that's definitely fair. Um, I'm actually completely on board with a, a digital version, and now that we're going to have it accessible through that um square code or, or whatever the qr code I, I guess they'll be packaged with that on the new starter decks as well so i think that definitely helps ease the um i guess the struggle to access that information if it's all you know straightforward off of that qr code that's that's the goal yeah we want it to be easy to access yep um i guess we'll go ahead and wrap it up here I want to thank you guys for coming on and sharing the Awesome news of new starter decks, and not just new starter decks. Again, it is subject to not happen, but definitely you've got me excited for potential sealed deck at Nationals with new starter decks. So make sure you make your plans, guys, to join us at Nationals. It's going to be the best Nationals ever. If you don't believe me, these two guys will tell you to. Join us at Nationals. It's going to be amazing. Fun time of fellowship, lots of good games, exclusive cards, Lots of new cards. It's going to be awesome. Oh, yeah. A lot of fun. Yeah. And, Chris, next time you host Nationals, you're going to have to really step your game up. (laughs) 
Gabe's setting the bar really yeah, high right now. It's going to be hard to exceed, you know, but we'll, uh, I mean, nationals are just fun to, to get away and, 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 you know, be with people and things like that. So we, we're definitely the, the, if the exclusives do well, we'll have to just keep coming up with some more, right? Yeah, we're going to try and keep that bar high yeah. for future nationals as well. We don't want it to just be a one-time thing to to help get attendance back up and get people excited about making that trip. Um, we want it to be an every year thing. Well, that's that's definitely a a great sign for the community, at least from my end on this end of it, um, to know that you guys are trying to make it something that's a, a worthwhile experience for the travel and all. So definitely, I will be at nationals this year. I will hopefully be pay, playing sealed deck with Israel's Deliverance, which is the um, possible name for the starter deck set instead of KNL. So we'll go ahead and wrap up here. Thanks, guys, for listening, and we'll catch you next week. Peace. All gas, no brakes. What I tell you? Barreling ahead, height train is rolling to nationals this nationals is shaping up to literally be the greatest nationals of all time i know i've only been in the game for a few years but this nationals has so much going on so much going for it there's another big announcement um i'll go ahead and tell you next week i'm going to have an announcement if you remember where i said that gabe could we could stop the recording and they could give me some more information. They did. I've got more information for you guys next week. Another big news drop for Nationals. So make sure you tune in next week and you'll learn that little bit of information. I think it's something that most people are going to be excited for. So we'll check you out next week and get that. As always, thank you guys for listening. And we'll talk to you next week. Peace. Peace.